Good morning, everybody. You're listening to KXRY, and we're delighted to have you here. And and now it's time for news with my son. And on the phone, the host of our show, my son Jefferson Smith. How you doing? I'm doing all right, Pop. Good to hear your voice. Well, I'm delighted to have you here. How's the how is the weather at the beach? Cooler than it is in Portland, I will say that. <laughs> is the sun shining? I mean, presumably. I do not see it behind the clouds, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> Boy, it's gorgeous here. Absolutely gorgeous. So go ahead. I'm, I will hand the baton to you. You were in the captain's chair, but I will say, I want to say thanks to our listeners and thanks to our sponsors. And I also want to say, this is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to save. So we take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout-out? I have three. Three shout-outs. First, I want to shout-out to Marty Kehoe, who has donated 22 acres of prime land inside Portland to the Audubon Society to be used for bird refuge and, and just never be developed, which is a really, really big thing. I know you talked about it uh, last week, but I just wanted to shout out to Marty. Second, I want to shout out to Renee Vesey, a waste management driver who drives a garbage truck who has bonded with a little autistic boy, Dima Kurdiara, who almost doesn't talk, but has developed a relationship with the garbage man every month, every week, which is changing that little boy's life, which is just a really, really wonderful thing. And then last, I want to shout out to the Philadelphia Union soccer captain, soccer game captain, Alejandro Bedoya, who scored a goal yesterday, and when he scored, there was the first goal against the Washington, D.C. team, ran to the mic and said, hey, Congress, do something now. End gun violence. Let's go. And he did that on Fox radio to television. I just think that's marvelous. Just marvelous. And we should then probably talk about what happened in El Paso and Dayton over the weekend. Yeah, Dad, you should you you should start out by giving the key facts. The facts are that twenty nine people, twenty one and eight or twenty and nine, depending on who's counting, have been murdered in El Paso and in Dayton. The El Paso is almost certainly a hate racial hate crime inspired by white nationalism. The uh, Dayton is fuzzier. That that's really strange because it includes the death of the murderer's sister. So we'll have to find out more about that. But but I understand that DDT is maybe right this minute saying something about this, and he he tweeted yesterday. We we can't have hate. We can't have hate in this country. This is the guy. This is the guy who encourages people to say, lock her up, lock her up. This is the guy who encourages people to say, send them back, send them back. This is the guy who spews hate day after day after day. It just blows my mind. 
Yeah, so 29 people are dead. Uh, 20 were shot at the Walmart in El Paso, Texas. Then early Sunday, uh, nine were killed in Dayton, Ohio. Police examining a hate-filled message on the website 8chan. The author expressed white nationalist views and wrote this attack as a response to the Hispanic invasion of Texas. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, has used the word invasion, I think it was 200 times to describe, I think it was in 200 different Facebook ads. Uh, his campaign had used the word invasion to describe uh, the uh, situation at the, uh, at the United States-Mexico border. Uh, same word used by Laura Ingram, same word used by the right-wing apparatus. Uh, the, uh, the president has not addressed the nation directly, save for a Twitter post. Uh, Democrats in the 2020 race are pointing towards Trump's rhetoric uh, to at least partly blame for the El Paso attack. I think we have a clip uh, from, I think we have a clip from Beto O'Rourke. We've had a rise in hate crimes every single one of the last three years during an administration where you have a president who's called Mexicans rapists and criminals. Though Mexican immigrants commit crimes at a far lower rate than those born here in the country, he has tried to make us afraid of them to, to some real effect and, and consequence. Uh, attempting to ban all Muslims from this country, the day that he signed that executive order, the mosque in Victoria, Texas, was burned to the ground. Those chants that we heard in Greenville, North Carolina, send her back talking about our fellow American citizens duly elected to represent their constituents in the Congress who happen to be women of color. He is a racist and he stokes racism in this country and it does not just offend our sensibilities, it, it fundamentally changes the character of this country and it leads to violence. The uh, some officials in Texas have called the attack and asked an act of domestic terror, including State Land Commissioner George P. Bush. There's now been multiple attacks from self-declared white terrorists here in the United States the last several months. There's a real and present threat that was all announced and defeat. And last month, the FBI director said that most domestic terror arrests since October have been linked to white nationalist ideology. Uh, yet it seems like for a while one shooting, one gun murder, one set of one mass gun murder was not garnering the nation's attention. We were getting immune to it, but but two in 24 hours seem to still be able to get our attention. We'll see. We'll see. We I've already, a little I, bit. I, I want to. I, I want to get I've some already, of the commentary. Uh, if, if you don't have further comment on it, Pop. Uh, well, uh, I do have one. I have already received this more early this morning a tweet, or not a tweet, but an email, because I'm on apparently every conservative list in the country, an email from an apologist for the gun rights folks who is saying that, uh, that this is all going to be solved when Jesus comes, but in the meantime, he's going to continue to carry his weapon, which he always carries, and the idea that we're going to be able to solve this by doing something about gun possession is ridiculous. We 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 got to have background checks, and we really we really ought to have licensing. If if you have yeah. to have a license to drive a car, there's no reason you shouldn't have to have a license to carry a gun. Rupert Murdoch's New York Post this morning came out with a call for a ban on assault weapons. Hillary Clinton reminded that after the assault weapons ban, the 
that mass shootings in the United States went down. I think it was 40%, and since then they've gone up from like 230%. Uh, also, in response to Bitter O'Rourke, also off-camera, uh, he was asked, is there anything in your mind the president could do to make this better? And he said, what do you think? You know the blank he's been saying. He's been calling Mexican immigrants uh, rapists and criminals. I don't know, like members of the press, what the F? Hold on a second, you know, it's these questions you know the answers to. I mean, connect the dots with what he's been doing to the country. He's not tolerating racism. He's promoting racism. He's not tolerating violence. He's inciting racism and violence in this country. So, you know, I don't know what kind of question that is. And I and, and I do appreciate, you know, one of the things that made me think of, Pop, well, first of all, on Beto O'Rourke, this, is this Beto O'Rourke's moment to step out of the presidential race and run against uh, and run against Senator Corner for the U.S. Senate seat in Texas. I think that would be a great idea. He's not going to be like a. He's not going to win the presidential nomination. He might make it into the next round of debates. I don't know, but the uh, but I I don't think that at this point he's going to get himself in the top five or six. Uh, and and up to now he hasn't had a good enough rationale dropping out of the race other than not having a high enough percentage which doesn't really put the wind at your back when you run for the u.s senate but this could be the kind of mandate i mean you still have senator cornyn in texas towing the same party line that has something to do with the, the, the fact that this is the only country where this ever happens the fact that we are seeing not just a spate but just what is what has become almost a craze of white nationalist gun violence with no with with, with no effort by the Republican Party, no effort by the like the Republican Party has one of two things either needs to happen. If we're going to do something about gun violence, either the Republican Party has to start prioritizing and start recognizing what every other country has done to ratchet down assault weapons, and that that has direct correlation between that and how much gun violence there is and how many mass shootings there are in their communities and their countries. Either the Republican Party has to prioritize that and do something about it, or the Republican Party has to be roundly defeated. Uh, I know that my own political viewpoints are not are, are not a secret on this program, but I'm not usually as clear about the responsibility of a political party. Uh, but it is very clear at this point the Republican Party either needs to prioritize doing something about gun violence, or the Republican Party has to be roundly defeated in the United States of America. Uh, here is here is uh, one one such Republican who's not gonna is not gonna prioritize uh, changing how we're doing things on gun violence. Ohio State Representative Candace Keller. This at least gives us a window to the argument, saying after every mass shooting, liberals start the blame game. Why not place the blame where it belongs? The breakdown of traditional American family. Thank you, transgender, homosexual marriage, and drag queen advocates. Fatherlessness, a subject no one discusses or believes is relevant. The, ign- the ignoring of violent video games, the relaxing of laws against criminals, open borders, the acceptance of marijuana, failed school policies, hello parents who defend misbehaving students, disrespect to law enforcement, thank you, Obama, hate for veterans, thank you, professional athletes who hate our flag and the national anthem. So apparently it's Colin Kaepernick's fault that there is a racist and, or, or a set of racists shooting people, including shooting uh, immigrants and shooting people in El Paso and killing them. That uh, I also wanted to point out and give a shout out to Cloud Fla- Cloudflare, uh, who has been uh, operating uh, 8chan. The uh, 8chan is a place that has uh, 
people are a little more familiar with 4chan, but 8chan has had lots of anonymous, violent, uh, racist, and white nationalist threads. And now, uh, and now the service, uh, Cloudflare, has uh, taken them down. Chris Murphy, by the way, replying, well, not replying to that lady, but, but Chris Murphy reminding us that 19 out of 20 murderers, no mental illness diagnosis. Four out of five mass shooters have no mental illness diagnosis and show no signs of a prior undiagnosed, uh, of a prior undiagnosed illness. And framing this as a mental illness problem is a gun industry trope. So there are a few additional here few there are a few additional facts, Pop. It would be interesting to know how much money Candace has received from the arms manufacturers. I suspect yes. at least a little. Were you from, were you familiar with Eight Chan prior to this? I wasn't. I wasn't, but yeah. apparently it's been a gathering ground for for folks hate filled people. And 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 here's the thing. This is. I remember. I remember a blog in Portland, and it was the it was the it was Jack Bogdansky's blog, and it got just it just got full of venom, and he was feeded, and it made him more venomous, and the, and he finally shut it down. And I never asked him why he shut it down. It, he was busy, wanted to do other things, and starting. But but what what I recognized was that people who participated in that blog were nastier, uh, were nastier as they participated in the blog. It wasn't just that, oh well that's a that's where yeah they synergize each people, other yeah that, that's where nasty people go and 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 so they're just nasty people in one place that well if you start a club and say everybody we're gonna let nasty things sit here we're gonna we're gonna prior, we're gonna make our language about being nasty and mean and or or change that and say we're gonna make it being about racism or worse we're gonna make it about violence then it it doesn't merely uh, sort of cordon off that activity. That's what fosters that activity. And it's and, and these online gathering places uh, really are uh, really are the kinds. When, when you look at the when you, uh, the L.A. Times did an interesting. I might be able to pull it up. Pull it up. L.A. Times did an interesting analysis about things that uh, shooters, that mass murderers, that gun murderers had in common. And one of the things they had in common was getting was was some sort of grievance and getting some sort of um, affirmation prior to the murder. Um, and this gives that, and that was one of sort of four criteria. Of course, one of the most obvious criteria is access to the firearms necessary to uh, to carry out the plot. But the uh, but, but getting that kind of affirmation just prior to the shooting has been a common thread over across all of the mass murders, uh, and these little gathering places are not merely uh, are, are not merely uh, sort of indicia. They also apparently can be drivers. But let me offer sort of this: uh, what to do about HN? Interesting article in Axios: the apparent posting of racist manifesto by the suspect in El Paso did raise the outcry over the role of 8chan, an anonymous chat site. Uh, it was also the message board, the perpetrators of the March's Christchurch mosque shooting and April San Diego synagogue attack shows prior to their manifestos. And late on Sunday, just last night, security provider Cloudflare announced it would stop providing service to reluctantly tolerate content that we find reprehensible 
but we draw the line at platforms that demonstrated they directly inspire tragic events and are lawless by design. Cloudflare's move could render the site vulnerable to service disruptive attacks, or as Prince predicts, 8chan could find another provider with fewer scruples. Uh, Two Cows, which provides domain registry service to 8chan, has said it has no immediate plan to take action against the message board. So if people are looking to advocate, Two Cows is a place, T-U-C-O-W-S, uh, is a place that maybe could be encouraged. 8chan was founded in 2013 by Frederick Brennan as an alternative to 4chan. 4chan is a site that first popularized the anonymous posting format and sparked the emergence of the anonymous hacktivist phenomenon. When 4chan began cracking down on hate speech during the Gamergate controversy, 8chan arose promised, promising an anything-goes zone. And since 2015, it's been operated by Jim Watkins out of the Philippines, Brennan is no longer affiliated. Six months has been urging that it be shut down, a call he renewed after the El Paso massacre. HN has claimed it removes posts like the shooting manifestos within minutes. Uh, but anyway, Dad, so now HN has been, has been the precursor to three, of these, uh, to three of these horrific mass murders, and its founder says it would be shut down. Uh, but it is understanding, understanding cult behavior, understanding when pods of people getting together to do villainy, that it promotes additional villainy. It's one of the things I think we have to better come to, come to grips with. We haven't come to grips with it in recent times. It has seemed like so many of these shooters act alone, but they don't. They, they at least have some communications with folks prior so often times. The, this nation back in the 70s was more back in the, in the days of Jim Jones uh, was uh, uh, more kind of on alert when it came to cult behavior. But, uh, but so much of the, of the villainous conduct have, happening now. In fact, I just bought a book about how do you cope with cults, how do you get, how do you move people from cults, in the hopes that it, it teaches me something about communications. Uh, because even, I mean, when you, when you realize so many of the people who defend the status quo in the context of facts that should be disrupting the status, status quo, it, it is cult-like behavior. It is, it is fact-free, uh, relying only on its cult leader for information. It resembles uh, so closely uh, uh, cult conduct that I think we've got it, whether, we, whether the cults happen on cable news or whether the cults happen in 8chan, it seems like we've got to get to grip, come to grips with how they function. Anyway, I'll turn it back over to you. Well, I got some. I got a bunch of international stuff. I got a bunch of stuff to talk about, and I'm glad we have time to talk this morning because last Thursday we we talked about not much other than the debates. So international, I'm really, really worried about what's happening in Hong Kong. I'm just really fearful that the protesters there, who most recently have desecrated the Chinese flag, are going to inspire an invasion by the Chinese army and the semi, semi-autonomous semi status of Hong Kong might be gone forever troubles me a lot. Iran has seized another tanker, and this time is one that belongs to an Iraqi, it's an Iraqi tanker, which kind of raises the question, was that a mistake? Because Iran and Iraq have been buddies for the last uh, couple of years. Very worried about what's happening in Kashmir. India, India is proposing to simply cancel the constitutional provision 
creating a special status for Kashmir. And, uh, oh man, the last thing we need is another confrontation between Pakistan and India over Kashmir. A very interesting thing is going on in France, which is good. Watch and see. France has indicted seven managers of the big telecom company, Orange, which is the name of the private company that was formerly the public company, France Telecom, have indicted them for practices that have inspired at least 35 suicides of their employees, which the, the allegation is that because the employees, having gone to work initially when the company was a public company, could not be fired, they decided just to make working conditions so awful that people would leave. And at least 35 people decided to leave not just the company, but to leave this world. That will be interesting to see what the jury comes. And then last, kind of as, as a segue to environmental stuff, which I've got a lot of, Greta Thunberg, the young woman, I think she may be 17 now, she was 16 when she started, who has really energized all kinds of young people to do something about the environment. Greta is going to be sailing in a sailing boat to the UN Climate Action Summit in New York to symbolize our trying to get away with from fossil fuels, which is interesting. You have anything other international before? I have some environmental stuff I'd like to talk about. Sure, I do, and we will be talking to um, we will be talking to Tim Markroft today. We haven't talked to him for a little bit, uh, but there was a protest in Moscow on protesting unfair elections. Uh, 311 people were arrested during an unauthorized demonstration. Russia's Ministry of the Interior put the number much lower uh, at just 30 people arrested. Uh, the but it's CNN that's reporting the 300. The protests are latest in weeks of similar events against oppositional independent candidates being barred from municipal elections. Uh, it was smaller than last week's protests where police arrested more than 1,300 people. Uh, anyway, Dad, but yeah, if you want to move on, go well, ahead. I, I just want to mention, that because that was an unauthorized protest, that suggests that protests should be authorized. And if you have an authorized protest, that strikes me as an oxymoron. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, if you're going to use a particular public facility, you can get a permit, etc. But ultimately, protest is to protest. Protest is not to, it reminds me of the free speech zones uh, that got so popular during the Bush-Cheney administration. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, I'm going to set aside, well, I at least want to say something. I at least want to say something. I, I, want, I want us to be on alert that criticism of Tulsi Gabbard has uh, has has spurred additional bot activity. That if you if you criticize Abramson pointed this out. If you uh, criticize Tulsi Gabbard on, when a journalist is criticized Tulsi Gabbard on the on social media, for instance, on Twitter, that you see an, he saw an immediate one thousand percent spike on on bot activity uh, going after him and going after his post that not only did Tulsi Gabbard come out, and I think that I think the only way that we can adjust to, that we can, that we can do something about the, uh, the influence of uh, bots on our political debate as they 
do try to foment, you know, combine bots and then combine whatever the heck happens at HN. It's very different things. You combine the two and it gets to be a pretty bad stew. But the, if we're going to do anything about how, about foreign interference on our elections through bot activity, it's, it's going to be because we talk about it, because we recognize it, because when we see it happening, we call it out and we tell each other uh, what we what we know. I don't the links about the, the links between Tulsi Gabbard and the Assad regime, and the Assad regime, of course, being close to uh, the the Putin regime, that can make us nervous enough. But what we're seeing is a significant bot activity uh, propping up Tulsi Gabbard. And uh, and and before Tulsi Gabbard gets it becomes the kind of phenomenon uh, that Donald Trump became, or it becomes the kind of phenomenon that even Bernie Sanders became, or it becomes the kind of phenomenon, uh, whatever in the future that bot activity helps promote, uh, at least one offer, one little voice is let's just say let's watch out for that stuff, man. Environmental stuff, and you talk about what's happening in Russia. Huge fires in Siberia, huge ice melt on Greenland, heat dome, which is moving north, and the term heat dome a few years ago didn't even exist. The International Institute for Sustainable Development has issued a report which says that if we were able to swap just 30% or maybe even less, but no more than 30% of the subsidies that 112 nations in the world give to the fossil fuel industry, which is a total of about $370 billion, were to take less than 30% of that subsidy and put it on renewables, which now receive about $100 billion of support from nations around the world, Renewables would then be clearly cheaper than fossil fuel producers of energy, which would real, yield a really rapid replacement. So it, it, it's just things are just within reach. And to demonstrate some of the importance of this, according to a, a study of polluted air that young people, children who are subject to polluted air, it turns out later, and this is a study that's been going on now for 50 years, later have much higher incidence of dementia. That's reported in the August Atlantic. We have grasshoppers in Las Vegas. We have in invasive, oh, oh, this is a very interesting little factoid, Invasive species are being washed up on our shores, piggybacking, especially on plastic waste. And that's kind of scary. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change tells us that if we're really going to do anything about climate change, we not only have to address fossil fuels, we have to address what we're eating and how we're farming to significantly lower the number of cattle and hogs and sheep too I guess but especially cattle and hogs because of the methane that they produce that we need to make we need to become much more vegetarianish rather than meat eaters 
some good news in the environmental front. Ford, BMW, Honda, and VW, and and Volkswagen have entered into a deal with California about emissions, which goes around, over, under, and past the loosening up of emission standards that the DDT administration is doing. And while we're talking about the term the DDT administration, something is kind of discouraging to me. The Catholic bishops, the Association of Catholic Bishops, had several disagreements with President Obama. And every time they had a disagreement with President Obama, they would say Obama. They would use the name Obama. A very interesting study by Mark Summer reported in Daily Coast that now whenever the Catholic bishop decries something that DDT is doing, they say White House or administration or a particular department, but they never use the words Donald Trump. I thought that was a very interesting insight. And I want to go back to your environmental point. The Washington Post had a good article, and shout out to Sean Swaggerty for sharing it. The uh, um, And you, by the way, can text us with their stuff. You think, we think we need to make sure that we read and we share with our community. Uh, but talking about the hottest month of recorded history and how it unfolded across the globe, that, yeah, we just faced the hottest month that humans have ever recorded. Uh, during at a local television station in the Netherlands, was airing images of winter landscapes to help viewers momentarily forget the heat wave. Uh, officials and in Switzerland and elsewhere painted stretches of rail tracks white, hoping to keep them from buckling in the extreme heat. At the port of Antwerp, two alleged drug dealers called, got, called police for help after they got stuck inside a shipping container filled with cocaine and oh, feared they were going to suffocate from the heat. Oh. Uh, Temperatures, uh, temperature records continue to be broken. It got up to 101.7 in Cambridge, England, 108.7 in Paris, the same in Germany. Uh, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres told reporters, we've always lived through hot summers, but this is not the summer of our youth. This is not your grandfather's summer, as July is giving way to August. July was the warmest month the world has experienced since record-keeping began more than a century ago. Uh, and being aware of that it's not just here, I have to say I feel so grateful to live in the Pacific Northwest. I know that there'll be more climate refugees that come this way as we dealt with, you know, what, an average of probably 80 degrees in, in July. It may be hotter for August. It's starting to get hotter starting a little hotter last week and going to be a little hotter this week, uh, but it looks like we're still going to be averaging in the high, mid to high 80s, occasionally getting over 90, instead of getting to 108.7 degrees. We got in Paris, France. Uh, and, and Paris. So Paris. grateful for our rainforest, what's so grateful the, for our coastline. What's the, what's the latitude of Paris? I don't know. I think well, I, I memorized the latitude of Paris, have it ready <laughs> on a moment's notice. I, I'm just, I'll look I, it up. I, I'm just trying to think... I, because because Europe is so much farther north than we often think, L- London's latitude is north of the United States. I think Paris's latitude is north of the United States, but but that's a question is, of fact. It we is forty-eight point eight five six six degrees north, two point three five two two degrees east. New York is a lot further north than New York. New York is uh, 
40.7128 degrees north. That's what I thought. Yeah. National stuff. Here, Dad, let's, let's take a break now. It's time. It's time. To, why don't you give the station ID if you're there in the captain's chair? Oh, you wow. Give the station's ID station and we take a break. You are listening to xray.fm at KXRY Portland and KQAC HD3 in Portland at 107.1 and 91.1 FM, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. And we're so glad to have you with us. Support for X-Ray FM comes from Gary Boyer with Director's Mortgage. Gary has served and supported our community for over 20 years and specializes in residential mortgage loans, refinances, construction loans, and debt consolidation. Gary Boyer can help you secure a locally funded loan for your next home. More information at MortgageMonkey.com. X-Ray FM is supported by Three Paw Pet Supply, helping pets in the South Waterfront neighborhood have healthy and active lives with hand-selected dog and cat food, toys, treats, and supplies. You can visit Three Paw Pet Supply at 3147 Southwest Moody Ave or find more information at threepawspetsupply.com. In the national area, I got a bunch of stuff that I, we didn't get to last Thursday to want to talk about, but something has happened since Thursday. The new boss at the Pentagon, Mark Esper, thinks it would be a, it's a really good idea for us to get a bunch of nuclear missiles deployed in Asia. Somehow that's supposed to make the world a safer place. Blows my mind. A lot of stuff on what DDT is doing, and for those who haven't been listening to this program, I wonder who DDT is. The middle D stands for Donald, the T stands for Trump, and the first D stands for anything you like. It could be despicable, could be deplorable, could be disgusting, could be delightful if you are one of those people who has drunk the Trump Kool-Aid. But anyway, interesting speculation about his support for Brexit and his getting along with Boris Johnson, some real doubts whether or not Congress will go along with what he wants to do in supporting Brexit. That'll be interesting to see. He is, DDT is suing both the state of New York and Congress to try to protect his tax returns. This is the guy who said, oh, well, yeah, I'll, you'll have them as soon as the audit is done. <laughs> If you believe that, could you could we talk about my bridge? He's cutting stu- food stamps, wants to cut food stamps, at the same time giving $25 billion to farmers to try to adjust for the fact that they're losing because of his tariffs on China. The, uh, oh, I've got to look at my notes so I understand what I'm talking about here. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Free. You're on the air, Pop. D- 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 
I talked about I talked about the offer to get a free medal, and then I, when I went to see what the free medal was all about, it was a DDT medal. You just had to pay ten dollars for shipping and handling. Well, now they're free socks. You can get free socks from the, and it's just seven dollars and ninety-five cents for shipping and handling for one pair of free socks. If you want to get two pairs of socks, it's just $6.99 for shipping and handling each. That means for two pairs, you put out $14. If you want to get five pairs of socks, it's just $4.99 for shipping and handling each, which means you're putting out $25. And remember, this is free, folks. This is free. Which is just symbolic of what we're getting. Does it, it? It sounds like I don't know if the shipping cost goes up, but it sounds like <laughs> they're charging a lot for handling. I think if, so. If, 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 five, <laughs> if it's if it's five dollars per pair of socks, you know, I, I have some idea how much it costs to ship socks. We have given socks as uh, as back for awards, as thank you gifts to loyal and very appreciated X-ray listeners and X-ray members. And I know, and, and, and shipping does cost something, but if you order, but it doesn't cost $5 per pair if you get five, so, so I guess they're charging a lot for the handling. <laughs> a whole lot. And, it's just, and there, there are DDT supporters out there who obviously are buying this nonsense. He, DDT is probably not going to be on the primary ballot in California next year because of the law that they have passed. Yeah, Dan, if we, I don't think we have talked about. I don't think we have talked about that. Give additional facts, and then I want to. I want to discuss it for a moment. Well, they are saying you 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 got to own up about your financials if you're going to be on the ballot. <laughs> and it was passed by the California legislature. Gavin Newsom signed it into law, and that what impact if any or what well what, he he, he won't impact the dynamic of the presidential he race. he probably won't care because he knows he's not going to win california anyway and unless a miracle happens and a whole lot more states buy into the movement to have states cast their electoral votes for whoever got the most votes actual votes around the country the Electoral College will be governing next year, and if the Electoral College is governing next year, DDT knows that California will not be voting for him, so he probably won't care about that. I've been I've been wondering where I think it would definitely matter. But but the, but, but, but there there is something interesting. There is something interesting. This is in the primary, and so you have to figure that the ex Massachusetts governor who is running will probably be on the ballot. So it might be that the <laughs> former Massachusetts governor, Mr. Webb, will be the Republican nominee from California, which would give him at least some voice at the Republican convention. Kind of interesting to see what happens there. Well, and, and that's the thing. If it happen, I've been trying to think about how it would impact the dynamic. Is it just... Isn't this just a protest bill that was passed by the state of California? State of California could it, could it impact the dynamic of the election? Here are a few here are a few thoughts on how I think it could impact the dynamic. Most of most if it, if it is only California, then uh, if it's only California that does it, then it does mean that the Democratic nominee can just bank a bunch of electoral votes. 
uh, will still go to California probably the same number of times as a fundraising place and as a media center. Uh, but the uh, but it but it might mean that some California resources that would have been spent aren't spent there. Uh, it might have some also rhetorical impact because then every time California is brought up, every time the guy with the little telestrator on CNN talks about which states are going where, he's going to have to say the. Uh, uh, is going to have to. So, Gabby, you said just the primary. Does it impact the primary and the general, or does it literally only impact the primary? My understanding is it's just the primary. So, so if so, if it happens only in California, when they do the telestrator, they'll have to say, okay, well, here's the states that he won, here's the states he didn't win. And each time, that means every member of the press will have to say, uh, well, I suspect that Fox News might find a, a way to say it differently than this, but he's allowed to say that Donald Trump would rather forfeit a state. Then let people know what are in, what, what what evil deeds exist within his tax returns, and and I think that could have some impact. But you're you're on it. If other states follow suit, then all of a sudden Bill Weld could start being like could start getting real votes, right? But if you if you got uh, if you got uh, five six, uh, there are fourteen Democratic trifectas. There are fourteen states where Democrats control. The legislature and the the governor's house. I, I, I recognize the reason I cover only Democratic trifectas is I don't think a state that has a Republican legislature or a Republican governor would pass or sign such a bill. But if but if the 14 Democratic states, uh, which do comprise a bunch of a bunch of electoral votes, do do comprise a bunch of population, uh, were to all pass it. And Bill Weld wouldn't have to win that many states on his own to be the Republican nominee. Now, I'm not saying Bill Weld is going to be the Republican nominee, but it actually would change the dynamic. And, and, and the way to change the dynamic, that doesn't mean Bill Weld becomes a nominee, but it means at least that they have that folks have to start talking to him. It my, means my, that Fox my, News my, has might to start talking to him. Might even have to invite, invite a debate or two. Exactly. Like it, it could change the dynamic a little bit if there are a bunch of states to do it. So it may just be a tempest in a teapot, but if a bunch of states do it, I mean, if he if he can get up, if it kicks up Bill Weld over 100 electoral votes, and California gets to ha- get you halfway there, uh, then then that that could change the dynamic in the country. Yeah. An, an interesting thing, people may recall that uh, the vice president, Mr. Pence, was on his way to New England. Actually, apparently on his airplane on the way to New England, and was called back to the White House, and there was a mystery. The mystery appears to have been solved. That was because the White House had just been warned that the former National Football League tackle Jeff Hatch was about to be busted for trafficking in fentanyl, and there was a fear that Pence would run into Hatch on the ground just before the bust was published so they they called him back to avoid that and Hatch just a couple of days later pled out pled guilty for trafficking in fentanyl that happened on the 19th of July very interesting Uh, last Thursday we were going to report on John Ratcliffe being nominated to replace Dan Coates as the National Security Advisor but now John Ratcliffe is not going to be nominated because it turns out that he he, he suffers from the pol- politician's disease of resume padding. 
which he claimed in his resume to have done a whole lot regarding terrorists, and it turned out doesn't show up. And so the fact that he was woefully, woefully not competent to be the national security advisor based on his experience wasn't going to wasn't going to side sideline his nomination. But the fact that he lied on his resume that was one too far, one too far. Something interesting. I don't know if you saw, but the. The Jane Meyer article in the New Yorker on Senator Franken and the removal of Senator Franken, I was a little surprised that none of the questioners at the debate last Thursday, last Wednesday rather, asked Gillibrand as to whether or not she might have some regrets over what she did to tell Franken. At some point, I hope somebody asked her that question because it needs to be asked. The we're still not sure who is for certain going to be the governor in Puerto Rico. That poor, that poor place. Uh, the Secretary of State gets appointed, but Secretary of State, at least as of this morning, had still not been endorsed by both houses of their legislature. So what's going to happen there? The Wanda Vasquez, who was next in line, said she didn't want the job, so the outgoing governor. Now the outgoing governor is apparently wondering whether or not he can withdraw his 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 uh, resignation. Very sad. But something I want to talk about is nationally is stock buybacks. We've talked about the, this a little bit before, but the the idea, you know, that the tax cut was going to just produce so much wonderful stuff. What con what companies were going to do? Stock buybacks are just over the top examples. Merck Pharmacy between 2008 and 2017, 2017 spent 133% of its profits on buybacks and dividends. The CEO, their CEO Fraser in the last 10 months then sold $54.8 million worth of his stocks because of the rise in their value. The, um, in 2018, there was $106 billion spent on stock buybacks and dividends. Home Depot, if so, Home Depot had spent what they spent on buybacks instead for increasing the salaries of their employees, their, the average salary of the employees would have gone from 23,000 bucks a year to 41,000 bucks a year. And Home Depot's CEO, who got a 15, $50 million salary, got an $11 million salary kick up. Just absolutely, absolutely awful. This is reported in the August Atlantic. The companies have used this to make things better for their stockholders. And who are their biggest stockholders? The biggest stockholders are their top management and their directors, of course. I, I should have used, you know, when we look at the economy, we, uh, uh, we talked briefly about 
last week, Dad, when the Fed lowered interest rates, saying it wasn't going to lower interest rates further. And meanwhile, the stock market had its worst week uh, in a long time, I think in part because there had been a sense, among, I think tariffs, concern about tariffs have caused it. My own, my own spidey sense is tingling because of Brexit with, with Boris Johnson uh, having, been, having been selected upon promising a no-deal Brexit, or not promising, at least demonstrating his preference for a no-deal Brexit, uh, then it's, uh, I, I don't see how you don't have major disruption to international trade with a no-deal Brexit. Uh, but also, there had been some predictions that there might be multiple, uh, multiple times that the Fed lowers interest rates. Lowering interest rates is one of the not many tools the United States has to try to up the economy, and one of the one of the mistakes, or I guess it's been a success by Trump. That success that Trump has berated the Fed chair in order to keep him from raising interest rates while we are having a rise in asset prices. And the reason, one of the reasons you increase it is so that you have room to lower it if if things if you have or more aptly when you have a recession. If you keep interest rates down three percent, well, you don't have much. You, you, you do lower them to one, but you get you don't have that much room to to spur the economy with the lowering of interest rates. Uh, but Jerome Powell indicated there weren't going to be further drops in interest rates going forward. That may have been one of the reasons that stocks didn't uh, that the talk, stocks took. Such a tumble. We're talking about another uh, another thing. That, another thing that the folks may be looking at is something else that's happening in the Middle East, where it turns out that at least twelve Iranian tankers appear to have been transferring oil to China and other countries, which violates the embargo that the United States unilaterally is trying to place on Iran because we backed out of the Iran nuclear deal and so we're saying that nobody is supposed to trade with Iran and of course the only mechanism that the United States lawfully can impose on other countries that take Iranian oil is to impose sanctions on those countries and so if China is buying Iran oil what sanctions are we going to put on China? And let me tell you, the the tariff fight could be uh, a walk in the park compared to what a sanctions fight could be between us and the most populous and second biggest economy in the world. Yeah, explain explain more about the sanctions fight. Well, the, the sanctions. We have imposed sanctions on Iran, and the DDT believes in his dream world that because he has canceled the deal and imposing sanctions that Europe is not acknowledging and other countries, but that, that that's going to force Iran back to the table and, and have them cave on things that they were not willing to cave during the negotiations with the Obama administration. So... They, they say to other countries, you must not buy Iranian oil. And another country goes ahead and buys Iranian oil. Well, what can the United States do to that? We're not the king of the world. We can't put him in jail. The only thing we can do to try to punish that country is to impose sanctions on that country. And if we start imposing sanctions on China, 
and China starts imposing sanctions back at us, it's Katie bar the door. Well, Dad, why don't we take, if the, if the crew can, why don't we take a quick break uh, and gather our thoughts and we'll come back. Uh, it seems like you should have a bunch of, we should have a bunch of uh, state, state and local news that has... I do. Um, I have a bunch of state and local, but, but when we come back, there's uh, just run down some headlines and national stuff that I want to cover so we don't forget it. We'll be right back. You're listening to news with my dad. I'm Jeff. That's my dad. You're listening to X-Ray, and radio is yours. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this, you can listen to our shows anytime, anywhere through our mobile application, available on both Google Play Store and Apple Store. You can find it by searching X-Ray FM. At X-Ray, radio is yours. And we were talking about uh, Trump's tax returns, what California did. It's worth, and it's probably important to mention, that a judge has temporarily blocked New York from sharing Donald Trump's tax return. The order was issued on Thursday. It blocks the state from giving the tax returns to the House Ways and Means Committee. The judge in question was, impo- was, in fact, appointed by Trump, works at federal court in D.C., and last week the president sued the Ways and Means Committee Two New York officials, Trump is challenging the state law that allows the chairman of Congress's tax committee to request public official state tax returns, New York Department of Taxation and Revenue. New York officials say the federal court in D.C. doesn't have jurisdiction over them, and the proper venue for the case is New York and not D.C. Uh, the Carl Nichols is the name is the name of the judge. Uh, any reflections on that? Does that how temporary do you think temporary is? Well, if you if you had any any doubt that s- at least some federal judges are influenced more by their fealty to where they got their appointment than to the Constitution, there is a classic example. Classic example. And these these are people who are always talking about states' rights. Please. And while we're talking about uh, evidence of that, SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, has genuflected to DDT on his power to take money that Congress refused to give him for the wall and still spend it on the wall. And if anybody believes that the current majority of the Supreme Court would have approved that had President Obama attempted to do that. That is to take money that had been appropriated for one purpose and spend it on another purpose, particularly when Congress, within just the previous few months, had specifically denied spending money for that other purpose. Well, again, I got a bridge. You like you like the bridge move, Dad. I think I, I think you might want. I, 
your store, you might consider your store selling things other than bridges. You got a lot of people, a lot of people you want to sell stuff to. When they have, when you think they believe things they shouldn't believe, you might think about products in addition to bridges. I'll see, I'll do that. While we're talking about national news, our senior senator, Ron Wyden, has joined the chorus, which now includes a majority of the members of the House of Representatives, asking for an impeachment investigation. And it's clear, we want to make clear, these folks are not asking for impeachment. They are asking for an impeachment investigation to see whether or not there are grounds to to approve an impeachment resolution. We'll see about that. Liana Wen has left Planned Parenthood. She was the boss of Planned Parenthood. Yeah, I interviewed her. I, I interviewed her when I was uh, hosting for Herman. Oh, did you really? So you yeah, told you, we did sort of a welcome. We did a sort of a welcome interview when she was brand new. Well, she's gone now, and in a New York Times op-ed, she said the reason is that she believes that the right to abortion should be treated as a health issue, not a political issue, and believes that if you treat it as a health issue, the right to an abortion would be better protected. And she felt that, uh, and the might want to get her her on again to talk about that, or might be good to get your close friend who is one of the movers and shakers at Planned Parenthood on to talk about that. It's, it is a, yeah, the interior fight. Uh, New York Times, shout out to them, they did a good, did a good piece on this. Uh, but the internal, the internal fight at Planned Parenthood, at the same time, they had, for the first time in a long time, a, a, a medical professional, a doctor, a very well-respected doctor, right, the head of Planned Parenthood, uh, and we think that hey, we're gonna we're gonna demonstrate there's a healthcare organization. We're gonna have a doctor who cares about healthcare generally. And she was uh, she was pushing for Planned Parenthood to include information on the website about the common cold. But that happened simultaneous to some of the greatest threats to Planned Parenthood's mission: the defunding of of Planned Parenthood facilities in states around the country, the passage of uh, the the passage of laws, around the, the, the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh, which then led to the passage of laws clearly contrary to Supreme Court precedent, clearly contrary to a constitutional interpretation in Roe versus Wade, just daring the Supreme Court to do to change Roe versus Wade. So at the, the same time, you have a different kind, a less political head of Planned Parenthood. You have the biggest political threats to Planned Parenthood and to women's right to choose uh, in the last 40 years uh, and that uh, and that led to uh, apparently lots of internal tension and her removal within seven months no organization hires somebody in the hopes that it'll be gone for seven months uh, so uh, but it you know obviously wish wish the doctor well I do think it is a really good question uh, and I, my guess is they got to try to do both. But my guess, it, it's such an interesting strategic question: is is Planned Parenthood's future uh, better uh, better in the hands of a strong political advocate who who comes out and says, "Listen, we've got to protect women's right to choose." Planned Parenthood is one of the only places in the country with particular juice that is related. Uh, pro-choice America, another organization, NARAL Pro-Choice America is another critical pro-choice organization. But you know, Planned Parenthood's not gonna not gonna fight. Who is gonna fight? 
And on the other hand, saying, listen, if Planned Parenthood uh, is going to continue to be federally funded, uh, recognizing its critical role as a, as a healthcare delivery organization in so many places across the country, uh, that, that Dr. Wen's argument is an interesting argument. Anyway, I don't have uh, I don't have a conclusion to it, uh, but I wish the organization and the good doctor well. It's a, it's a critical time for the organization. You, the uh, staffers, two staffers for AOC have been removed, particularly the chief of staff, who was, in my judgment, exercising terrible, terrible, terrible judgment in going public on a whole lot of stuff. It is not appropriate for a staff member of a member of Congress to be making public statements and policy. But uh, it it looks like because of the tete-a-tete that AOC had with Nancy Pelosi, uh, AOC has has recognized that there are some things she needs to be more more responsible about, and that's a good thing. What do you think is going to happen to Uber? Uber, the folks who bought the stock in the IPO for Uber took a bath within 48 hours, and Uber is still just losing money hand over fist. And people are asking, is it because they have a bad plan, or is it because they have bad management, or is it both? Um, I kind of wish I had got in on the IPO at Uber selling it short. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I do think I, I am concerned about the fundamentals of the American economy because, and, and, I'll, and I remember, you know, God rest his soul, uh, my friend Sam Blackman's company, which he sold, what did they sell for $50 million, uh, to Amazon, and it had never turned a profit. Uh, that the uh, that so so much of the American economy, so many of these tech organizations, these tech companies, are built in order to appeal to stockholders, with their ultimate exit being a sale to a larger company. And the problem is, there's only really five to choose from. Basically, startups now get started up in the hopes that Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, uh, I'm missing one, uh, purchase them, purchases, or in Google, purchases them. And the, uh, and a, 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 a country's economy that is based on selling larger organizations and then a nation's economy that is based in oligopoly or a set of monopolies. I don't know, that, that sounds a little too similar to the economic state of affairs prior to the last Great Depression. Uh, and it really does, it, so much of the tech economy feels like a Ponzi scheme, feels like a, uh, feels like network marketing, feels like, well, I'll value this non-profitable company at, at this level if you do also, and all of us just have this idea of value and that's, of course, what an economy is. is what it, All prices are what we agree something is worth, but we're agreeing things are worth something even when they don't have any profit. Uber may be the most classic example. And if Uber fails, I worry that it could have a psychic impact. A large, to, to quote Marianne Williams, a dark, it could be a dark psychic force on the, our understanding of the tech economy. 
uh, which I is not I don't find as rosy as uh, as obviously as the people who invest billions of dollars into it. But but if I'm going to take it down a down a level, that's sort of my my big sky is falling concern. My less sky is falling concern, or, or or at least more specific to Uber, is yeah I don't see how Uber gets profitable until and unless they get self-driving cars. Uh, they, they have been they charge too little. But if they char and if they charge more, they'll get a precipitous drop in riders. The only way Uber can become profitable is if they is if we treat everything they've been doing up to now as just increase. Because so, the way let, let me spell this down, slow down. So the way that you jack up your stock price, the way that you, that Uber and before it's being traded publicly, the way it jacks up its valuation, the way you go out to uh, to angel investors and venture capitalists and say, hey, listen. You should buy a chunk of Uber. I say it's worth blank number billions of dollars. Is to show user growth. Okay, I say, look, oh, month over month, we continue to gain users. Well, you get user growth by keeping prices down. Well, that's nice. It's nice to have prices down. It's nice that Uber is relatively affordable. It's not that cheap to Uber all around. As somebody whose car was totaled has had to use, I don't use Uber. I use Lyft. But you know, it, it ain't cheap. But you know. It's nice. I'm glad it's not more expensive. And they they increase they increase their users, and every every increase costs them more money. I am reminded of the story of the farmer, who went into a hardware store, and bought two hammers, and then he came the next day and he bought four hammers, and he came the next day and he bought eight hammers, and the hardware store asked, "What are you doing with these hammers? You're you're paying." Four dollars a piece for these hammers. What are you doing? He said, "Hey, yeah, man, I'm, I'm buying them from you for four dollars, and I'm selling them all for three dollars. And boy, that sure beats farming." <laughs> so they get, they build more, uh, they continue to build more and more users, but not gaining, as you pointed out. They keep buying hammers at four and selling them at three, and you're not going to make that up on volume. Uh, and the and the and for it not to collapse, ultimately have to recognize is it's all the initial dime bags. It's all crowding out other users trying to get people used to taking Uber, trying to get trying to crowd out cabs, maybe put cabs out of business entirely, so that Uber becomes one of the only options. And then it has because ultimately either they have to get the costs way down or they got to get the prices way up. And to me, there's only two scenarios: to get the prices way down. They need self-driving cars so you don't have to pay human beings anymore. To get That's how you get the cost way down. To get prices way up, the only thing you can do is to be pretty close to a monopoly. However, to, however, may I point out, when you get self-driving cars, they are then going to have to buy all the cars. And they are going to have to maintain all the cars. That's the point. And they are going to have to store all the cars when they are not being driven. And that is not going to be a small thing in what it costs to operate their no, that's business. A good point. So, so I'll go back to the other point. I, the only way for Uber to be profitable is for Uber to become pretty close to monopoly in transportation and, uh, and for Uber to jack up prices significantly. That's, I, 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 don't, I don't see a pathway out of that. I don't, I don't really. either. I don't either. You, you quoted Marianne Williamson. That reminds me of the nomination contest which is going on right now in the Democratic Party that if if the nomination were up to what I would 
believe are the are the most progressive or if not the most progressive at least the most attention paying democratic voters i would think there's a very high correlation between people who get the rep- daily reports from coast and uh, who foster progressive beliefs the daily coast poll of over th- with over 50,000 people responding after the last debate was Elizabeth Warren 43%, Bernie Sanders 18%, Joe Biden 10%, Kamala Harris 9%, Pete Buttigieg 5%, Inslee 2%, and the rest, nobody of the rest got more than 1%, which uh, is kind of an interesting insight as to where people's hearts are right this minute. There are a couple of before we move to state and local. There are a couple of caveats. Before we move to the show's going to be over. Before we move to it. Well, but just there are a couple of caveats that I really want to put out because one of the things I like to think that we do is give people warnings of things they might not otherwise know. There's a very very critical story about the risk of safe deposit box. It turns out there's no federal regulation governing safe deposit boxes. And the banks apparently have virtually no liability where bad things happen with, with safe deposit boxes. And there are some horror stories about things that have happened at Wells Fargo where they shut down a branch and never properly notified people that they were losing their safe deposit box. So just be aware. And then second caveat, if you have been one of those persons who has been taking aspirin every day because you want to ward off a heart attack, there is a Harvard study that says big mistake to do that if you have not already had a heart attack. You might want to check out that study if you are doing that. All right, Pop. We got five minutes for Tim. State so and local. If you, if you want to talk about our fair home, you better get okay. You better get well, it, this is this is barely state and local because it's a long way geographically, but psychologically. Why do you hate Portland, Dad? Is it you hate Portland? You hate Oregon? No, no. Psychologically, we're close to Alaska. And we've talked about the fact that the governor of Alaska, the Republican governor of Alaska, has wanted to cut $400 million from the higher education budget so he can give more money to all of his voters. That's happening. And one of the results, 2,500 lost scholarships to higher education in Alaska, which strikes me as a classic example of eating your seed corn and if people don't understand what eating their seed corn means text us and i'll explain it the road well, 12 I- people were arrested ice protests in portland peaceful protests happened friday afternoon it was led by jewish leaders and immigration activists some blocked the driveway of the immigration and customs enforcement office in southwest portland officers warned they would be arrested for blocking the driveway and about 11 or 12 of them were mostly women uh, some were students at Portland State University. Oregonian reported that several shots were fired from what sounded like a paintball gun, which dispersed the crowd of about 60 protesters into the street. Uh, the paper could not confirm what the noise was, nor who made it. The protesters sang chants and songs in English, Spanish, and Hebrew in the march at the federal building. Legislators, Dad, who voted to cut PERS, won't be invited to the Labor Day picnic. That includes Governor Kate Brown. The Labor Day picnic at Oaks Park happens every year. It is usually a gathering of nearly every Democratic elected official 
in the state. They line up, they say a quick word, get themselves introduced. But Governor Kate Brown and the Oregon legislators who voted for the modest cut to the public employee retirement system benefits will not be invited to appear on stage. The Northwest Oregon Labor Council draws a bunch of union members to the uh, to the park each year for the picnic. Not that many of the people come and see the speeches. Uh, it's usually elected officials speaking kind of themselves, kind of talking to each other. <laughs> uh, and the but but the legislative session, which recently ended, lawmakers nearly passed Senate Bill 1049, uh, will result in a loss of some percentage points in some individual retirement accounts. And after that vote, delegates from Northwest Oregon Labor Council passed a motion not to invite any of the lawmakers on stage to speak at the Labor Day event. Which strikes me as being a great opportunity for everybody to lose. There's no winner from that decision. Candace Avalos is a current advisor of Student Affairs at Portland State University, has announced her campaign for departing Commissioner Amanda Fritz's seat Valls is building a campaign on the promise of ending the city's current commission form of government. Uh, as we know, five commissioners in the city, including the mayor, are elected citywide. Avalos wants elections by geographic district. She wants to address the outdated commissioner system, her words, that holds us back as a city. And if I, a question I have for her, and I don't know the answer, and maybe we should try to find out the answer, is does her proposal is just to elect people by districts, or does it also involve removing the present system where commissioners run the bureaus? Because if it doesn't... Oh, I, include, I think we know. I th- it, will, it will... Those are part and parcel. You get rid of... You get rid so, of... So it go, the, goes to a strong mayor? Say again? So what she's proposing is to go to either a strong mayor or a city manager? Yeah, and, and, this, is, and this is the thing that so far, in the, in the City Club's proposal that gets in all the discussions about this i mean julie de Gras, who ran against nick fish has been promoting it lots of friends of mine are promoting it each time they bury the lead they say we want to get rid of the commission form of government they don't say oh we want to enact a strong mayor form of government or they don't want to say we want to we want a, a, a bureaucrat in charge of the city we want to, we want a, a city manager because those are the options and that's what the city club reports could uh, report does it is true that their costs of the commission form of government uh, but one of the costs of removing it is either Ted Wheeler, Ted Wheeler's replacement, is in charge of every city bureau, and and you have one office running a, running the entirety of the mammoth bureaucracy, uh, and you have you're one layer away. You have only one person, one elected person to go to and talk about that stuff, or you have a city manager and you have zero elected people to talk about that stuff, unless you hope. I mean, unless you hope that some legislator. Uh, turned, you know, some legislator style city councilor will have some influence with measure. But yeah, that's the proposal. Rumors are placing New York's new Major League Baseball stadium at the Lloyd Center, the Portland Diamond Project, is pushing ahead with plans for a new baseball stadium. They have been saying it will lo- be located in Northwest Portland Cargo Terminal. But rumors are that it might be built built at the Lloyd Center, which would be rumors uh, spread uh, mostly in the real estate industry as well as at City Hall. It has not been substantiated by anyone uh, purporting to have knowledge between the Diamond Project or the mall. Uh, and the Diamond Project said that the rumor didn't start with them. Uh, their, st- their spokesman said that the Port of Portland's Terminal 2 remains its 
preferred site. The Lloyd Center Mall is owned by Cypress Equities, a Texas company, who paid $148 million for the 1.2 million square foot mall in 2013 and then put tens of millions more into an interior and exterior renovation since then. But while shopping malls continue to struggle around the nation, Cypress has not commented on the rumors or disclosed its financial information. It would be very sad for me to see Lloyd Center go away. It, w- it was the first big mall in the country. The very first one has been there for more than 50 years. Rhode Island suburban yeah. newspapers have bought the Bend Bulletin and the Redmond Spokesman and some other outlets. And one of the requirements of the deal for the deal to go through is that the Bulletin and the Spokesman have to fire all of their employees. The, the purchaser, of course, then would have the option to hire some of them back, but they might also have the option to just import people from Rhode Island. That's a little bit troubling to me. Well, the, Dad, we are we are past the time. It's time to take a break. Oh, okay. We're, we're gonna have to move it to Thursday. We, I, I, we'll I, have I, a lot I warned on Thursday. you, Pop. I warned you. But Tim <laughs> Barcroft is on the line from France. We're two minutes into his time. Let's take a quick break, everybody. Thank you again to all of our listeners. Thank you to Tom Dwyer Automotive, right by the Selwood Bridge. We appreciate them so much. Should we I appreciate should, all of you so much. Also, thanks to Moral Link. We'll be right back with Tim Barcroft. Dad, as long as time permits, we're gonna, we'll have you stay in the studio. Okay, can I, can I do my straw in the wind? Why don't we do it to close out the show? Well, because then I'd have to stick around all the way. Okay, I'll do that. All right, well, actually, right my, my straw in the wind would be a great segue to Markroff. All right, well, I guess it's time for straw in the wind. We'll have our production meeting during the show. I guess we just okay. had it. It's time. We'll play the music. France. In the I'm afraid that this is a straw in the wind which scares the heck out of me. France is launching a satellite armed with machine guns and lasers capable of shooting down other satellites. Very, very troubling. All right, then. We're going to take a quick break. and we get back, Tim Barcroft, Chief International Correspondent. We'll be back, everybody, and radio is yours. I think we're back. And on the phone, I think we have our friend Tim Markov, Chief International Correspondent. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you? I am well. Where do you want to start? We haven't talked that much about Boris Johnson, but that doesn't mean we have to. Do uh, you want to talk about the hottest the hottest month ever, or we want to talk about Hong Kong, which which the protest began on the 9th of June, uh, focused on the controversial extradition law, which is also maybe symbolic of the, also the turnover of power towards China. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about the extradition protests. Um, Today in Hong Kong, a general strike was called uh, by various labor and student unions, as well as by the general protest movement, which has been taking on the uh, yellow ribbon as their symbol, while the pro-Beijing protest movement, um, which is probably about 10% of the size of the Yellow Ribbon Movement, uses blue ribbons to identify themselves. So the Yellow Ribbon Movement um, has successfully blocked um, a huge amount of transit, and including um, public transit as well as flights and roads themselves in and out and throughout the city of Hong Kong. And all of this is to, pro- to protest the 
proposed bill allowing extradition of um, people accused of crimes in China, in China, mainland China, from the city of Hong Kong, which runs under a one country, two systems uh, set of rules that was set up in the 1980s under Deng Xiaoping. Now, the reason why this is viewed as such a threat to people in Hong Kong is that, as listeners may suspect, um, the uh, let's call it the Chinese jurisprudence uh, is not terribly concerned with um, questions like uh, the rights of the accused or uh, freedom of expression, political liberties. A lot of people are put in prison for things like endangering the public safety for um, publishing accurate reports of what happened in Tiananmen Square or for protesting uh, various Chinese government activities. And so the people of Hong Kong believe that if this extradition bill is allowed to, were allowed to go forward, um, it would represent a serious, uh, let's say, potential for repression by mainland China of the people there. So in, in that sense, they are, they are fighting to protect their liberties. And uh, boy, howdy, there are a lot of them who are willing to go out on the street to protect those. And they seem really good. The, the, the Hong Kong protesters seem very skillful. Dad just spoke of lasers and satellites. The last videos I saw, it was Hong Kong protesters using lasers to block facial recognition software. Uh, they're serious over there, man. Yeah, they, they're quite serious about um, what they're undertaking because what they're undertaking is pretty dangerous. Um, so far, the delicate balance between the police of Hong Kong and the military of China has been maintained, and the number of arrests has been relatively low, considering what's going on. By way of comparison, a much, much smaller set of protests in uh, Russia against electoral repression in the city of Moscow um, produced over a thousand arrests in a single day. So uh, Hong Kong and China are trying to play this one softly and calmly, it appears. Um, but the protesters do deserve a lot of credit. Now, there are some troubling trends within the protest movement, as there were inside of the umbrella movement, and as there are in a lot of these things that we have come to understand as being similar to Arab Spring uprisings. Um, this is going to sound like a tangent and something that's not at all related, but I swear it is. So my wife and I have started buying um, kung fu movies from the French equivalent of the dollar store. And for whatever reason, a lot of the kung fu movies that end up in these French dollar stores come out of Hong Kong. They're Hong Kong cinema kung fu movies. Classics. It's great. They're ridiculous. A lot of them are very bad. But one thing that we run into a lot is when the when the action is set in modern day Hong Kong, like 70s through the 90s, there is always systematically and without exception constant mockery or insulting of Chinese people. Chinese people as a category, racist stereotypes, uh, calling them locusts. Uh, it, there is a cultural animus that exists within the culture of Hong Kong against mainland China. Of course, it's not everybody, and it's not in all contexts, just like in the U.S., but it is present in the protest movement. And some of the previous leaders of protest movements, like the uh, 2014 Umbrella Revolution, 
in Hong Kong. This was also a major, let's say, through line in uh, in their discourse. So that's something to watch out for, um, much like it was to watch out for in the yellow vests in France. But with that said, uh, I think that we can be pretty impressed by what they're doing because in a city of 7 million people, they managed to bring out 2 million into the streets to to protect what are fundamentally civil liberties. And uh, if we could get two out of every seven people in the U.S. into the streets, uh, I think things would be going a lot better. And what do we? What do you think is the uh, end game here? How, how do you think this goes down uh, ultimately? If you were going to not necessarily give a prediction, but at least offer potential scenarios. Huh. Well. It's going to depend a lot on how free a hand the central government of China thinks that they have. Um, There is one theory going around, and I think that it's a good one, that the reason why Beijing chose to shelve the bill, which, uh, or rather, hmm, Beijing instructed the elected representative of uh, Hong Kong to shelve the bill, uh, was to not look bad at the G20 summit and in negotiations to attempt to prevent or calm a trade war with the United States. So there is a significant degree to which uh, one of the questions to ask when we think how well is this going to turn out is um, what are the U.S. government's priorities and how will the U.S. government react to massive repression in Hong Kong? Uh, It seems like what Beijing thinks is that if they were to massively repress the protests in Hong Kong, that wouldn't go over so well, and that might create enough of an upswell of public sentiment in the United States that they would get really, really hurt in a trade war. Um, So it may be up to the people in the United States to um, make them continue to believe that, that the... uh, that it is one of our priorities in the United States to make sure that our trade partners are um, treating their citizens well and ensuring fundamental liberties. When when uh, Margaret Thatcher was it Margaret Thatcher, who was it that signed over uh, that that, it, that when the agreement was made to turn over uh, Hong Kong after 1997? That must have been Blair. I think it was Margaret Thatcher, man. But, I could be uh, wrong. But the, but regardless, whatever happened, uh, why was it that the deal was to give the colony, you know, give, give the colony to another colony, or to give the colony to China, rather than to uh, have Hong Kong become an independent state? I think that's a very good question, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be prognosticating here a little bit outside of my historical range of expertise, but. It seems natural to say that it's because China was very powerful in that negotiation and that there was really no way the British government could take on the task of ensuring that Hong Kong would remain a an independent nation state. And so the, the resulting compromise uh, was that they would build this one country, two systems system, which would then run its course over the next... Uh, 40 years. I think it's set to expire in uh, 2037, but I could be a couple years off on that. Hmm. All right. Uh, the uh, and and what 
does the does China care what leverage do other countries have on how China treats Hong Kong? And is any is anybody at the UN or anybody around the world, uh, you know, indicating how they might engage or what they might think or how they might care? Um, again, I think that China's trading partners have a significant amount of power. Um, China yeah. is, uh, according to some people that I read on this topic, looking to become a new global power, at least um, as powerful as Soviet Russia in comparison to the United States. We, they're looking to make this into, once again, a bipolar world. Um, and with with that as their goal, they're not using the raw military force and industrial might strategy that the Soviet Union used. Instead, what they're doing is they are reaching out their influence into places like Africa, into Central Asia, um, and elsewhere in the world and the Pacific Islands. And so what they're trying to do via this mass global influence campaign um, is to create a China-aligned world. It becomes clear that uh, everyone is going to pull away from them as a block if they uh, engage in massive human rights violations. And they did get some significant pushback after the Tiananmen Square massacre. Um, then they might choose to keep doing what they're doing right now, which is playing it cool, uh, rolling out these measures slowly, and maybe accepting a, a certain measure of civil liberties to be maintained in Hong Kong, at least for the moment, as long as they think that the world is going to, as a block, let's say the UN or the uh, OECD is going to say, uh, no, this is not acceptable behavior. We are going to uh, we're going to withhold our toys for as long as you're behaving this way. So I think that there's a lot of leverage, but it's got to be unified. I wanted to ask. We were on we were on break before. I wanted to ask about Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson has built, you know, has risen to power. Uh, in significant part because of his support for Brexit, because of his willingness to break ranks with his uh, his Eaton buddy, uh, I think it was Eaton, right? Uh, and, Oxford. Uh, former the uh, uh, Cameron, the former Prime Minister of Great Britain, and support Brexit. Uh, he is now in charge, which means he's got to continue his promise of Brexit. Do you? Do they have a? I'm just. I just continue to be so confused. I continue to be so baffled. I continue to be so flummoxed. It seems to me that a No Deal Brexit means they need a, just a slew of international agreements that haven't yet been drawn up yet, and I don't see how they make them all that fast. Particularly when they have a lot of folks that aren't that motivated to help to get them done, because they probably think these guys are just making being big dummies. What's uh? What's the what's the current uh? What's the current status? on the, the major international trade story of the last 50 years, which is not only the handover of Hong Kong and China by our, by our former colonial power, but also the, uh, whether or not it's going to have the same set of relationships with its European partners. What do we know about Brexit, my friend? I mean, <laughs> I, I do not share your, let's call it optimism, that um, without a set of agreements with other trading partners, the the United Kingdom will not leave the European no, I Union. That's not I, what I, I, I didn't say I don't think they will. I said I don't understand how it works without it. Right? I can understand they don't get the agreements done prior to it, but it just seems like 
but then I don't understand what happens after that. Well, I think that planes stop flying and that cargo rots in ships in port. <laughs> I think it's really bad. I I I hold I hold with the people who are waving their arms over their head and screaming and yelling and saying, "No, this is going to be really bad. Like we're not going to be able to get our like medications into the UK that are made in Germany and like we're not our GPS system is going to break because we don't have usage agreements on these satellites anymore." Like, I'm sure that as much as possible of it will be done via bureaucratic hand-waving at the higher levels of the European Union. I, I, for all that I can understand why you might think they would want to, I don't think that they're going to want to make a ridiculously harsh example of the UK, um, because I think that they need them as a trading partner in the future. But uh, it will be really bad if they leave without these trade agreements in place, and I don't see any way that they're going to get these trade agreements done in what is it, August, September, October, three months? No, I, I think we are headed for either uh, a new election, a new refer- referendum, and no Brexit, or a uh, no deal. And I'm, I'm giving it 60-40, uh, no deal versus no Brexit. So you think, you think there's not, and, and I noticed you did not have a third path, which was a soft Brexit, that you, you didn't think there's any chance of that. No, because I think that uh, I think that there was um, over, over the majority of the period of this Brexit debacle, there was that possibility. And the deal that is still on the table from the European Union, the one that Boris Johnson campaigned against, and the ones that the hardliners and the Tory Party have consistently uh, refused to consider Theresa May's agreement, um, still doesn't solve the Irish backstop problem, where in Ireland. The Democratic Unionist Party, the psycho hard riders in Northern Ireland, um, do not want any possibility of being rejoined with the Republic of Ireland, and they view a separate customs or border control treatment of Northern Ireland compared to the rest of the UK as one step in that direction, and so categorically refused it. Without the votes of this minor party, it's just not going to happen. They can't pass any legislation. So it's either going to be an election, and in that case, I don't see how uh, I don't see how Brexit makes it through. The Liberal Democrats, who are the only consistently and vocally anti-Brexit party, um, have been gaining ground. In fact, the Tories' working majority was reduced to a single seat in two by-elections recently that had always gone to the Tory party historically and are now Liberal Democrat seats. So if that tells you the way the wind is blowing. No, I don't see any way to a soft Brexit. We're out of time. <laughs> they just dithered for too long and ran out of time. So either the political forces are going to align such that there is no Brexit, or I think they're headed off a cliff. Well, we are also out of time for this program. Perfect time. I want to say thank you again to Tom Dwyer and Tom Dwyer Automotive. Tom Dwyer Automotive helped to kickstart X-Ray at the very, very beginning. We give them our perpetual and honest and so deeply felt thanks for their continued support. Tom Dwyer Automotive, located at the east end of the Selwood Bridge at 530 Southeast Tonino Street, where they have been for three decades. Tom Dwyer Automotive, specializing in vehicle repair and maintenance services. Thank you for being eco-certified and initiating the Carbon Neutral Project. You can find out more at TomDwyer.com, where you can also see a page on politics and values for a fix-it shop. Thank you, Portland. And thank you, Tom Dwyer. You're listening to KXRY Portland, KQAC HD3 Portland, 107.1, and X-Ray.fm. 
And I think I need to say thank you to you, Tim, and thank you to you, Pop. I love you, Dad.